Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Canadian RegTech Association's podcast, where we'll be in these next few episodes exploring the Founders series. In each episode, we'll invite the founders of some of the most innovative, high-growth companies operating in the RegTech space and hear about their innovative vision and their opportunities and challenges faced on their journey of growth for their business. My name is Myra Milliardaire, and I'm your host today. By way of background, I'm a corporate lawyer at Miller Thompson with significant experience supporting companies operating in the technology sector. I advise on domestic and international mergers and acquisitions, private equity, venture capital, and financing and complex technology transactions. For those of you who don't know, the Canadian RegTech Association is a not-for-profit organization focused on solving regulatory challenges through collaborative efforts between key RegTech stakeholders, regulated entities, technology vendors, and regulatory bodies. So joining us today for, the, for the, this podcast is Anthony de Cristofaro. He is currently CEO of QNEX Corp and brings 30 years of computer industry experience and three M&A transactions valued at more than 600 million. Previously, he was the president and CEO of various companies, including IC Media, which merged in 2010 with Synchronica. He was president and CEO of MGI Software Corp and founded in 1990, which was founded in 1996 and sold to Roxio. Now, we, for QNext, QNext is a uh, recognizes one of the technology industry's most exciting and innovative private companies. Its flagship product, FileFlex Enterprise, is designed to support the modern hybrid IT corporate storage structure with the highest level of security including zero trust access. And it supports integration with the latest Intrel SGX secure enclave technology. So Anthony, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Myron. Thank you for having me um, for this. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to our discussion. Yes, me too as well. I think it's going to be an exciting one. I, I, I know uh, some organizations will be familiar with QNEX, some won't. So uh, I think this is a, a great opportunity for our audience to hear about QNEX and also hear about your journey and, uh, and how you've, you've really come from a, a startup and all the way through to a, a high growth company. So thanks for joining us. So I think we'll briefly start off with, it'd be great if you could tell me a, a bit about QNEXT. I, I know I gave a bit of an introduction, but maybe a bit more, and some of the, the services you offer. Sure. Um, so basically, FileFlex Enterprise, without getting into, into too much of technical uh, terms, uh, we basically go into a corporation and we connect all of their data, no matter, no matter where it is in the world, and you can have it on-prem, you can have it in Azure, you can have it in Google, you can have it in Amazon, you can have it in different offices. And basically we magically connect all that data. We put it in, we lock it down in the equivalent of a Fort Knox, and then we allow the access and the sharing and the collaboration of that data from anywhere in the world that's fully audited uh, in real time. And in the new cybersecurity standard that you'll hear more and more about called zero trust architecture. And the fundamental of that is trust no one and verify everything in terms of transactions. And basically 
in a nutshell for everybody who's listening, what's happening is a big trend going to zero trust for one specific reason. VPN is being used because it's a simple plug and play and it's a 25 year old technology and the biggest compromises of IP of data in the world between countries especially has been through VPN. And the US uh, organization, the US government is all moving towards zero trust architecture. So that's the reason and slowly over the next three to five years, you're gonna see VPN um, have less and less of a role in the communication of remote workforce. And, and that's basically what we end up doing is providing a solution for that remote workforce to be as productive, but most important of all, to be as secure when they're accessing corporate data or sharing it. And then where is it going and who got it and who opened it? What time did he open it? Why did they rename that file? And that's in a nutshell what we end up doing. Oh, great. No, it's, and it's, I know there's a, a lot of impetus for this, this technology due to the, uh, the changes we're seeing, uh, well, not only due to COVID, but also uh, continuous uh, improvements or requirements relating to security of, of, of software and information and, and personal information and confidentiality. So I see the, the need for it too. And that really leads to my, my next question, um, uh, Anthony, is, is what really inspired you to start QNext and start this journey? And, and, and what really, what issues were you trying to address when doing so? Yeah, uh, actually, an interesting question, because I started a, a, a company with uh, Oren Asher, and that was the MGI software that we ended up selling in the year 2000 uh, to uh, Roxio for, and it was about 130 million US. That was an Intel invested company as well. And Oren and I, you know, had a great win there. We were number one in the world, digital photography, video, and so on and so on. And then Orrin came to me about five years ago, six years ago, and he was doing kind of development work, background work, and he had a development shop. He had some good core technologies. And as usual, he kind of presents his stuff to me and says, what do you think? Come on board and, and convince me <laughs> after hearing his presentation or the overview of what he had. And the fundamental, I believed in the philosophy. And basically what inspired me was, the idea that everything is now, especially five, six years ago, was all moving into smart devices. That means a fridge. It could mean your thermostat. It could mean anything. So this platform that Orrin had already started with communications on a point-to-point -point basis was basically my inspiration to say, we can connect, have complete control remotely to a whole bunch of uh, devices, the data on it, and most important of all, do it in the most secure manner. So then I said to myself, wow, then it was the fact that this is really a service delivery platform. Now, what is going to be my first application or solution that I should uh, put on this service delivery platform? And that's where FileFlex came into play. Um, in terms of security, in terms of remote access, in terms of down to audit level of, of documents and things moving. So that's, that was the inspiration was the fact of IP and everything is intelligent. And he had a great communications platform to start with. Oh, great. And when you were starting out, were you, were you seeing it for 
a specific industry that this was was a, a good opportunity for, or, or 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 subsets of data within organizations that are highly sensitive, or or what was what was your um, what was your at least initial target uh, well, customer that, and industry? That that actually is, is interesting. You say that because as much as people and companies, and sometimes it happens where boom, this is where I want to go. This is what I'm going to develop, and here's why we're going to be what we're going to be. It doesn't always happen that way. So when we started with that platform, to answer your question exactly, we said, hey, we've got a platform here for all the Facebook users to be able to share securely. No longer does it have to always be posted to everyone. You can have a private network and you can do all your things. So that was the, the first development that actually we had focused on because the core platform was there. And then what shifted that? And I was very resistant to the consumer world because the value of security, I said to Orrin, is not. But at the same time, Facebook was big. Then one big change happened. And this is an interesting story for any other entrepreneurs in software. So be very careful. So Facebook had an open API policy in the beginning where they allowed in software companies to plug in and connect. And then they just changed their policy. So they said, hey, products like the QNEX product, you're not allowed to communicate through the, through the uh, Facebook platform. And we couldn't bring signals and we couldn't bring little red lights to the users to tell them what's going on. And so then it became almost challenging to the point where it's obvious that wasn't going to work out. And my, my attraction has always been towards businesses because they're willing to pay for security and productivity. Those are the two important core functions of, of our delivery. And then FileFlex Enterprise um, began. Oh, interesting. So it was really a pivot between industries. Uh, and that's, uh, that's interesting when that happens, where you, you're starting to fill one void. And then it turns out that the, the, the at least the, the pain point can be transferred into another industry quite seamlessly. So that's interesting. Right. And, and because, Myron, we're, I mean, we're, of course, FileFlex Enterprise, but the reality is we're on top of what's called an architect of a service delivery platform. So tomorrow morning, if we want to do IoT, then 85% of our platform and the philosophy of how we connect is done, right? Then we just have to tweak to that market, so. Mm-hmm. Mm, no, exactly, exactly. And I think you've, uh, you've, we've already touched on a bit of this, but I'd like to hear a bit about what are some of the, what are the, some of the challenges, barriers you faced initially when you started the business and in those, those earlier days where you're, you're thinking about the Facebook uh, application or other similar ones and, um, and, and past that point. And really, how did you overcome these? Yeah, that, you know, the most difficult and challenging time, I think, for any uh, entrepreneur, any founder, any, any leader getting into a technical segment of a market is really the juggle between what you have, what you believe, and money in terms of investment and then showing the progress. So uh, the bottom line is in the beginning, as we started with Facebook and we started to get some investors, it, the juggling of investors is probably the biggest challenge of getting 
uh, I'd call it, you know, I, I mean, a lot of people call it family and rounds, family and friends round, but the reality is there are smaller investors, 50K to 100K, and it's very challenging because you have this platform, you're half-baked, but you have a great idea and you have a great team and hopefully uh, you've got a reasonable track record and all of these things combine, you're pulling these investors in and, and truly it's a lot of work. So to give you an example, um, in the last four years before we started last year going, um, started to go commercial in the mid part of last year, we raised, I mean, it sounds interesting because people say, I don't know, I, I look back and say, I don't know how it was done, but we raised $10 million Canadian over a period of four years in 150 grand and 200 grand increments. And so it's, uh, that was the biggest challenge as we move forward and show progress and as the investors is there to balance that to me has been the biggest challenge. Um, and, and in Toronto, in Canada, much more conservative group. If we were in the Valley, I think it'd be, it would be quite different, very different. Um, but the reality is you're, you're where you are. Yeah, no, that makes sense too as well. And um, what were some of the, I guess, some of the, the barriers you faced drilling down a bit more when, when trying to find investors and, and how did you overcome maybe the challenges that they put forward? To you. Yeah, so I, I think uh, a big part of it in the beginning, certainly for me, um, and my one advantage um, was that, okay, I had a, a successful background in terms of bringing other investors and getting them, you know, with a great return and doing all the things we had to do. So that's a great, you know, a, a great foundation to have. And then it's about your your story your strategy the communication and your delivery is so important um and then you have to connect all the dots so it's one thing to talk to an investor he says well you know you you the trouble is when we have investors that are let's call them entrepreneurial type investors that want to put in 50 or want to put in 100 grand they uh, you have to connect all the dots for them, meaning you have to show them the industry articles or why this is specific and why the statement from Gartner says the size of the market is going to be this. Here's where we are compared to competitors. So it's, a, it's always a challenging, challenging, challenging um, um, segment of the company. And at the same time, though, you do have to show progress year after year or six months after six months, um, they, um, and, and quite often, as a good colleague of mine always said, Anthony, everything costs twice as much and takes twice as much time on anything you estimate. So um, you have to, you know, obviously keep that in mind as well. But so that, that's been the big challenge. And, and then you start moving in the last two years, we've started moving to larger personal investors who could put in a million or have, and we did, we got some very famous high net worth individuals who um, put in a million. He put it in two times because he saw the progress. He saw the contracts. He saw what we were starting to do in the industry. And he saw the confirmation 
of the industry positioning and our solution and how you know we we have a significant opportunity in front of us so and then in this last round we've graduated to funds and large brokers as well even though we're private so it's like a step graduation and and trust me each step is there's a lot of steps and and but especially in the first two or three years no exactly and i think that's really a, a good point it goes back to the old ad, adage of uh when you're looking for financing uh, it's it's people are looking at the the products the market but particularly the team and i think that's really a critical piece as well you're in, you're really investing in the founder and the key team members as well as the uh as well as the technology and it it sounds like and these at least initially that was the that was the pitch you had to provide to give comfort exactly exactly okay now that's great too as well and i think we've we've touched on the 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 financing during the initial stages and and the sources of financing and how that's changed for you so I, thanks for providing that anthony uh, maybe we can delve into how the terms of financing has changed between those rounds so initially what were the terms and how how you've seen more recent rounds uh, evolve and, and what people are looking for yeah, that's an interesting question in the finance area because many of the Canadian companies are always um, a lot of them come into that challenge. In other words, we start out with equity or common shares. In our particular structure, the founders, myself, everybody has got the same uh, structure in terms of shares. It's common, and um, and then you know with individual investors as you move forward the common equity share structure is quite often um not a, a not a problem they they get it we're getting a percentage of the company and we're on the same terms as the founders and investors and ceos and so that kind of works okay and everybody uh, you know moves along with that with that structure but as you move up the scale and you go for bigger rounds like we were doing now, um, we avoided the Series A called, let's call it a Series A, venture capitalist kind of round because we we wanted to stay with, with equity because the terms, when we talk about terms during that time when we grew with the investors, the only terms that were changing was the valuation of the company. So, you know, you would buy shares at 20 million of valuation. So if you put in $2 million, you get 10% of the company. Um, and then as you move forward and you do progress, the, you know, the last round, the other round was done at 30 million. And our latest round, you know, was done at 45 million. Um, a pre-money. So the stages of the valuation go up and some companies do warrants and half warrants and we typically uh, don't do that. Um, you know, we could do straight equity. We do a conservative valuation based on the industry and based on the comps in the industry. And so we tried to avoid that thing called Series A because some of the venture capitalist terms are incredibly, incredibly uh you know they're 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 very they're very strong they're very they could be very onerous and um they typically need special features when they call it series a it means 
my money's coming in and I'm the bigger money and therefore I need better terms than everybody else who's common. And that typically happens in the structure. So they say, if something goes wrong with the company, we're the first money, we want the first money out to replace what we have. And some of them actually ask for a multiple of what they put in, even though the company has been sold on a fire sale for, for a certain amount of money. So, um, and then there's performance, there's, there's coupons, what they call a percentage of shares being given to the series A round holders. All sorts of things can happen in series A and it becomes, you know, becomes a very difficult ship to navigate sometimes, especially as a company, of course they're emerging, they're getting traction, but the reality is you can't forecast in, in any precise manner, really. Um, I mean, you can get a general idea and you can get some pleasant surprises where you've done a lot better than you forecasted, but generally it's, it's, it's difficult. So these series A could be a problem. So to answer your question, yeah, we stayed with equity and valuations change as we move forward in the company. And uh, although there's a lot of potential for series A rounds out there, and a lot of money in venture capitalists, but they tend to be a little more aggressive. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I, I advise a lot of companies in this space and uh, also venture capital funds. And it's, it's really these legal mechanisms to, uh, to get, to protect the funds in some situations from, uh, right. Cause right. they're taking a minority position, but I, I know for a company it, depending on what stage you're at, um, it can add some risks. And some of the items you discussed are um, really relating to redemption rights or conversion rights or liquidation rights too as well. And, right, and, right. and I, think it's, I think you hit a nail on the head is if you're, if you're looking for that and you're, you need that funding, it's, it's good to get advice from people who, who know that space um, because they, they, you can have unintended consequences from, from uh, for signing up to things that you don't fully understand. So well, it's, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, it's and, great to hear you're able to, um, to, to self-fund in that way too, or through other means and methods, which is great. Right. And, yeah. and it's not like we're saying Series A is really tab taboo. I mean, we're not saying that because there's some very balanced, friendly Series A where, you know, you, you, since these guys are putting in the big money, it only makes sense. They should be the first ones out. And there's a few things that make sense, but you have to be careful. As you said, it's a, it's a, a very complicated little piece of paper that comes to you with a whole bunch of words that that you need a good lawyer, Myron. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, exactly. No, that all makes sense to me. And I think this has been, that was great advice too, as well as, is uh, it's securing funding where you can on terms right. that work for you. I think that's the the, the message there, which I think is uh, fantastic advice. Um, maybe we can shift gears now. And I'd like to hear a bit about uh, QNEC's customer acquisition strategy and, and how that's changed um, from customer one to now, maybe, and going through a discussion there. Yeah, interesting. I mean, when you start out, and I think a lot of potential listeners who are either in or looking at starting or investing, I, I think you have to start somewhere, and it's typically a very small core. So to give you an example, we, we really started out with, I, I guess we'll call it two salespeople. And now, of course, with the funding we have, we're scaling and we're setting up a U.S. and a whole bunch of little areas. Um, but the reality is you start small. You take your platform wherever it is or your software, and especially if it's an enterprise, consumer would 
be a different way of approaching the marketplace. But in the uh, business side, the enterprise side, uh, B2B, it's, it's really getting some core um, customers on board who believe in the system. And so there's quite often you go out there and say, listen, it's okay, help with us, work with us. I think it'd be a great win and win. And uh, here's why you should have the great value prop and all your presentation and your demos right. And everything should be perfect because to go out there, you've got to look like a, you've really got to look like a billion dollar company and everything and how you you know, how you roll out, how you present your video, your website, everything has to be, um, you know, AAA. And and you have to start from there. And of course, you know, it's it's not easy when you're small, but you can focus on the detail. And so we started by going to customers to answer your question now in terms of detail, going to um, customers directly we had no channel we had no partners in the middle let's just go to the customers let's see the feedback and we've always kind of been talking in a secondary way to some customers but now we're ready for prime time in terms of our beta and let's go and so then what we do is go out and we got two or three customers and then it slowly grew and then we said hey let's uh, it, the best way to scale this is to have integrators and partners who already have access to customers. I mean, when you go to these bigger integrators and resellers, they already have 50 or 100 customers that they can walk into and offer FileFlex tomorrow morning if you get them all excited and you get them all on board. And they don't like to take on products these days, by the way. It's not like it used to be, please sell my product. And they, they say, sure, I'll put it on the shelf here. If somebody calls, um, I'll get back to you. But the reality is today, you know, it's a decision process for the reseller. How much is it going to cost us? What about the training? How good are they? Is there a need in the marketplace? Um, you know, can we use this to, to um, add to our, our customer-based solution? And is it in the right sector where it's growing and, and it makes sense for a solution? So we started with small corporate accounts. We've now, um, over the last, I guess, 18 months, now we, we've built up um, some a very significant partner program globally. So we, we've signed a very large agreement with NEC Corporation out of Japan. They're the largest computer company in Japan. And they're actually integrating our product to 25,000 point of sale customers that they already have. And the good thing is FileFlex is not going to be an option. So those 100,000 users over the next two years will eventually go to the NEC's next platform level at Azure and we're part of it. And then they will, um, you know, they will end up having FileFlex and we are getting uh, a certain amount per month per user in US dollars. So there's a significant play there of 100,000 users. Our retail is $10 US per user per month. Um, lots of opportunity. So that's one contract. Then we've signed up SoftChoice, ConnectWise, Insight. They're, they're, people in the industry will know they're pretty big integrators. Um, ConnectWise have 18,000 little MSPs, medium size. And 
they run on ConnectWise platform and we're integrating to ConnectWise's platform. So they'll actually offer it to those 18,000 users with a button and say, you're the exclusive data zero trust access to, to our MSPs because security is becoming, as you know, a very, very important area for every company in the world and every government in the world as this marketplace gets uh, more with the balance between remote workforce and on-prem. So we move in from customers to channel and now we're very focused on the channel and the reseller. Oh, fantastic. No, it's, it's, it sounds to me that the, the, there's still challenges, but those challenges have evolved in, in ways that are good, but also uh, uh, I think it's less about proving yourself but more and more about uh, uh, how to address enterprise issues too. So that's that's very interesting. Thanks exactly. for that. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um. So I know we've touched on this uh, already, and it sound, but I, I would like to just uh, close this off, Anthony, by giving you a chance to maybe say a few words on some of the biggest challenges you feel your industry faces, and and in the next few years, and and how you're thinking of overcoming them. Yeah. I. I and that's that's a good question. I think I'll say first and foremost. And we happen to be fortunate that we're in the, the security level. But I, I would say that the state of technology and the large share of, of, of everybody you talk to in leading concerns in today's technology platforms are, are really in the ways in which they're exploited by, we'll call it bad actors who spread, you know, and then the privacy issues amongst the business model and what's behind the system. and the compromises, the ransomware has has gotten, gotten into the hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, and these are real facts. These are people who have to pay with whatever, Bitcoin or wire transfers. So security is definitely, uh, you know, we're having a big shift coming from where the old tech and the new tech's coming in from a security perspective to protect all of that information and that money. So I would say that's number one. And then of course you got compliance and you've got challenges for compliance and regulations and, uh, and really a lot of inadequate power protection for, for some of the systems. And, and, um, and so I, I would say in a nutshell, that's kind of some of the key little hot points that are out in the industry. And you're gonna see more and more on, on I mean, I, it isn't a day I think you go out there that you don't hear about tech and security. I mean, that's, where it's at and we have to solve that problem we have to get better because these bad actors are making a lot of money from vulnerable companies no exactly exactly and these are these are the things that i think keep many people up at night so i think you've, you've definitely hit the high notes there so anthony i just want to say thank you for joining us today um i really appreciate your time and and giving us some insights into qnext and and some of its key products and how you've grown um, and I want to thank the audience for joining us today for this podcast. Uh, please uh, do visit the CRTA website to learn more about upcoming events and podcasts uh, where you'll be hearing from more people like Anthony and uh, QNext about some other innovative technologies and industries. So thank you. Great. Thank you, Myron. It's been a pleasure. And if anybody wants to see our stuff, it's www.fileflex.com. <laughs>